Hello and welcome to All Villa No Filler, a podcast all about Aston Villa, the world's greatest football team. It was a dramatic night for Villa as Steven Gerrard was sacked as manager after a 3-0 loss at Fulham. Today I'm joined by Paul Webb from the Aston Villa London Lions, who was at Gerrard's final game at Craven Cottage. Webbo, it's absolutely great to have you on the podcast again. I was not quite expecting that it would be such a dramatic episode uh, as it is today, but Steven Gerrard has been sacked as the Aston Villa manager. Um, You were at the Fulham game. Can I just get your initial reaction, I guess, to the sacking of Steven Gerrard? I think it was inevitable. I, I think, as you mentioned, I was at the game last night and we were taught naturally... We were just talking, everybody was just talking about Gerard before the game. There was no discussion about the lineup, no discussion about the actual match itself. The only discussion that anybody wanted to have was how long has Gerard got left? Mm. Um, and the consensus was if we had really bad results against Fulham and Brentford, he would probably have to go. But I think everybody assumed we would, because we played quite well against Chelsea. So we assumed yeah. there should be a a decent performance last night and I think everybody assumed he'd be there till the World Cup. So um, having watched the game, I left the stadium absolutely certain that he had to go. The fans had completely turned on him. Certainly the away continues had him and the players just weren't fighting for him. So it looked like there was something severely wrong with the team and ultimately the manager has to to pay the cost. I think he was saying earlier I was very very surprised at the timing of it I, mm. I didn't anticipate them to be almost quite a shotgun reaction to it last night so the initial reaction was shock but purely just on the timing of it um, yeah so I expected an announcement at some point before the Brentford game but certainly not last night but as I was saying Frankie there was there was no fight on the pitch last night there was no yeah. real fight in the stands either it was almost like We've come to the end now. We need a change, and yeah, it, it it has it had to be it had to happen. Yeah, it's definitely been coming, hasn't it? I think um, for me, it was the the to be honest, it was the opening day away at Bournemouth. That was a real, mm. such a shock of a performance in the sense, like you have a you know you have some optimism after an, a pretty decent preseason, I guess, and mm. you know you always have optimism at the start of the season, and um, just that game looked to me like, oh my goodness, we haven't grown in any kind of way at all Gerard's yeah. approach hasn't grown and just ever since it's just been very poor really um but you know you were in the ground uh I mean what I saw Miguel Delaney uh independent reporter say that is probably the one of the more severe turnings on a manager he's seen from a fan base uh at the in at the game um what was your sense of that so I was it, it was coming we there was a few of us sat uh together behind the goal and to be fair to Fulham they played well and the goal was certainly not against the run of play yeah so I think at that point Martinez had made two or three pretty decent saves and we certainly did I don't think we troubled their goalkeeper all night but for the first half an hour it's like we're up against it here and uh, to be fair to the fans they were very much wanting to chant Villa till I die they were making the point uh, heard that fans are aren't leaving. We're going to be here, and that was before they scored. But we were just chatting, saying, oh, if, "If Fulham score here, this is going to turn and turn very quickly." Yeah, yeah. And then they scored probably just before the half time. So I think at that point, 
people's initial reaction or majority of people's initial reaction was, oh, I'm going to go and get a beer or I'm going to get some. <laughs> in the second half, we were so flat. Like, yeah. There wasn't a reaction. It was almost like we needed to see that he'd given a real rollicking in the halftime team talk. And there was going to be, if they're going to fight for this manager, let's see it now. Mm. Um, and then the second half performance was just so lacklustre. Then the fans just really just wanted to, make sure they were heard, that they wanted mm. Gerard out. And there was a lot of different chanting. And I think the only chance we did in the whole of the second half was aimed at getting him out of the club. And <laughs> yeah. the, the standard, let's chant about Emmy Buendia because he's not on the pitch chant. So I think that was, it was basically <laughs> nobody was chanting at anything on the field. It was yeah. like, let's get a player on and let's get the manager out. So it wasn't as hostile as I've remembered it under Lambert. Like There was yeah. no in-house fighting or anything there wasn't anybody suggesting Gerard should stay yeah. there was definitely not a split decision amongst the fans there was no real anger amongst the fans either it was just a real flatness and I think you hit the nail on the head it goes back to that Bournemouth game mm. in that we I felt the, the board have done really well mm. when they sacked Smith and that was a, a big decision they moved quickly and then this preseason, they moved quickly with obviously the key summer targets. And you can, mm. he's been a little bit unlucky, obviously, Gerard, with those being injured. But it felt like we'd had really good preparation in preseason. You felt actually we should know exactly what we're going to do. We should have a plan. We should have an identity because they've had the whole preseason to work on it. And no point this season have I felt that I know what we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. It feels like each game, first four or five games, we were changing formation playing two up top at home and one up top away. It just didn't feel like at any point under Gerard, do we have a plan or a, a general, this is how Aston Villa are going to develop and play going forward. So it's been quite a, a strange 11 months or however long it's been under Gerard because he just hasn't ever stamped his identity on it. And you mm. want to give him a chance because he's young and he's obviously got such a high profile name. But I think the fans have just given up by last yeah. night not on the club obviously we just had no hope no faith that we were ever going to win that game last night mm-hmm. and I think that's a real shame because with the greatest respect to Fulham away that that's a, a game we should be at least competing in that oh, was completely. the biggest concern is that we didn't compete last night we could play in Fulham and they wiped the floor with us yeah. I, um, so yeah it, the fans were noisy they let the Gerard know what they thought but I didn't think it was as brutal as it has been under Lambert but there was no doubt that the whole of the fan base wants, it, wants him gone and they are, are pleased that he's gone yeah um, I think we've, I think Villa fans seem to have a, we seem to have a slight reputation of sort of turning quickly but <laughs> I, I'm not I don't know how fair it is in the sense I think we're probably fa- a fan base that's endured some um, pretty frustrating times more so than a lot of comparably sized teams like Everton's yeah. and Tottenham's that sort of thing over the last kind of 10 12 years so maybe maybe we've just booed a little bit more and had more reason to boo <laughs> um well but, I uh, think Frankie, it all goes back to the expectation the board set yes, so good point we perhaps we were stupid as fan base and we've all we all go down that rabbit hole of believing our club's going to do a lot better than they potentially will do but we were led to believe that this is all a five-year plan and all that sort of stuff. And last season was all about just being stable. Under Smith, we had to change manager, but this was going to be the season. 
that we'd invested and we were going to make that real step forward and they were we were going to be challenging for European football. That is what the board were so clear in their messaging and we all bought into that. Yeah. Um, and perhaps we were naive to do so. But then when that goes back to that first game of Bournemouth, how poorly we were. And then again, a Palace the following couple of weeks yeah. after that. Terrible. And it was every away game this season, we have been second best. I, I don't think we've deserved anything. Like you look yeah. at the recent games against Leeds and Forest, and again, they're there for the taking. And we just didn't have any direction or anything. So I think going back to the Villa fans thing, we keep getting told how big a club we are. We keep getting told by our owners that we're going to be in Europe and these things are coming back. And we're just so desperate to believe that that is going to happen. Yeah. That when it, when it so quickly goes wrong again, you just get annoyed and you just want change very quickly. So I think we are as a fan base, very quick to turn, but we are also a victim of our previous success years and years ago, where we're just trying desperately to get back to it. And the owners are trying and telling us that that's going to happen. But it's clearly we're miles away from it. Yeah, um, indeed. I mean, you mentioned it with Fulham. I think something I noticed watching it was just it was reminiscent of a lot of other Villa away games this season, including the Palace one, where we were just so passive, casual, um, mm. just almost like an apathetic approach in a way. Like, just in so many ways, you can look at it. The press just isn't there. Um, mm. The fight, the front three, just looks so isolated and. In our final third of it, we got five thousand coaches at Villa, but we don't look coached in a way. So we're just, <laughs> just, just clueless. Um, and then the defense every time, and I noticed this really when I was at Palace, was that the defense would constantly be playing it back and forth to each other, and there was just no, nothing in midfield to come take it away from them and progress mm. up the pitch. You know, you know, with um, good triangles or quick movement. So, you know, I think if I was to criticize Gerard mainly, it would be you know. A lot of his comments off the pitch have been quite alienating, particularly the whole Ming yeah. saga. I'm not I can't imagine that went down too well with the players. But also just um generally the fact we just looked so uncoached. It was um a meandering, terrible watch, really. Um, but how would you kind of sum up Gerard's year in charge? Um I think you lackluster, I would say. Yeah. There's there is Definitely signs that it could have worked. Like when yeah. he started, I think he won three out of the first five and only lost to Liverpool and Man City in that five. So there was yeah. definitely signs that the players were excited to play for Steven Gerrard. He yeah. still carries a huge amount of respect as a name within football. Um, probably actually near the end of his tenure, probably counted against him. Like I think fans are still seeing him as a player perhaps, but I think... The players had an initial reaction, a positive reaction to, I want to play for Steven Gerrard. Then yeah. January came and Philip Coutinho came in. Think, wow, that is a marquee signing that we would not have got under Dean Smith. So there was a bit of so, so you're thinking to yourself, well, if he can, the players want to play for Steven Gerrard. Like we, we talked about it with Jacob Ramsey. Mm. If he's not going to be inspired as a midfielder by Steven Gerrard, arguably England's, greatest midfielder in the last two decades that he's never going to be inspired and improve at all. So the, the initial signs were actually he's going to get the best of our, out of our youngsters. He's going to inspire players and he is a big name draw mm. for future transfers and the, the backing was there. So we, we have owners that would financially back him as well. Mm. So you think that's not a bad recipe for success and ultimately where he took over last season, we were never going to get into Europe last season. He, he took over 
and we were out the League Cup, but we were still in the FA Cup and he gave it a real good go at Man United away and we were a bit unlucky in that game when yeah. we lost one. So he, he wanted to go for the Cups and he's, he's done that again this season. So he understood the importance there. But then I think this summer, I think that the way he handled Mings certainly publicly was incredibly... I don't know if it was Paul or Knight. I don't know what it was. It was a yeah. really bizarre way of doing it because we're never he's going to have thousands of conversations with Mings that we'll never be privy to yeah so you can only assume that he told Mings well in advance but certainly the way he handled that publicly felt like he was trying to alienate him or, or make him so I don't know it felt like yeah. the fans weren't meant to like Mings and then yeah. the first game of the season he didn't play and uh, so it felt like and, and to be fair Mings was a scapegoat Last season, let's not kid ourselves. The fans didn't rate Mings. The fans were very quickly to turn on Mings. Going back to your previous point about finding somebody to blame, Mings was that guy <laughs> for a lot of last season. And then he didn't play. And then Gerard said that about him. And all of a sudden, Mings it, it actually almost had the reverse effect that the fans mm. then calling for Mings to play. So that was probably the first sign that something quite wasn't there. And he was trying to put his attitude that's probably the the biggest downfall I think Gerard still had was that there was an attitude to him um, that certainly wasn't there under Smith and I think it's probably a, a different conversation frankly that you probably need to delve into is great do great footballers and he is a great footballer make great managers yeah. there's a lot of examples where the top top players just haven't been able to go into management you look at Roy Keane who was fantastic footballer yeah. But, and he openly said he struggled when he was managing players that weren't to his ability. Yeah. I have no idea if Gerard's like that, but he's used to a standard or he could reach a standard that probably none of our players are ever likely to have reached. So maybe that was a problem, but he did seem to really struggle in the man management side of it. It certainly felt like from the outside, whereas I felt Smith beforehand was exceptional at that. He, like, yeah. he managed to galvanise the team and stuff like that. So it does feel like he undid a lot of the good things that were already there that he didn't need to undo. Mm. So I just think he tried maybe to change the wrong things within Villa. Yeah. And then we'll never know. Obviously, Beal is now being tipped as maybe the next manager, <laughs> how important Beal was, because he, he made he was quite open in one of his interviews that he doesn't really see himself as a coach. Yeah. So he needs a lot of people there. He is the front, like the one who's going to make decisions. He's the manager who's going to trap people in, but he needs a good coach behind him. Mm. And Beal was clearly uh, is highly regarded now and is showing that at QPR how well he's doing there. So that feels like a big loss as well. But mm. ultimately, I was excited when we got Gerard. I was probably still a little bit down that Smith had gone. But once yeah. he'd come in, those certain signs. But this year, it just goes back to, like you said, we don't have a plan. We didn't have any idea when we were on the pitch like we almost looked like we're wait to go behind and then we react to it we never seem to really attack any games and go for it so ultimately I think it was the right appointment that we yeah. made and I just don't I, I think it was worth the gamble and uh, I just don't think it's worked out anywhere near that anyone thought it would and I don't know where he's going to go from here to be honest with you Frank it'd be interesting to see if he gets another premiership job because obviously the, one of the biggest concerns we had when he joined was, oh, well, he's going to leave for Liverpool. Yeah. And we, I remember having a chat. He said, well, if he leaves for Liverpool, it's a good position that he's got Villa in because he doesn't yeah. leave He doesn't leave from Villa to Liverpool unless he's done well. He's certainly not going to be the next Liverpool manager right now, is he? So, yeah, I, I still think it was the right 
appointment at the time. I just think he would have he will learn a lot from this experience about trying to be too bossy, too like being the big star. Like, too, I think too the alpha. manager. Exactly that. That's yeah. that's the exact word. Yeah. He wanted to yeah, he was too alpha. And I don't think mm. players ultimately on the pitch weren't reacting well to it. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's, it, I mean, it's just this calendar year alone, really. We had that three game winning streak in March, but probably since we lost 2 1 at Brentford all the way back in January mm. when Brentford were really poor as well. I think it's just since that game, it's always looked like he's just been, he was really trying to find a formula and it just wasn't coming to him. Um, but, you know, that does link in, you know, towards the end of Dean Smith's time as well. You know, he changed formations like Gerard did uh, against yeah. Fulham uh, to three-five-two. Tried to get the squad sort of working, um, which maybe suggests that the balance of the squad might be off if two managers have really struggled yeah. um, to work it out. Um, what do you make of the players and the squad? You know, we've talked about how they looked quite casual and passive. Maybe that was the coaching approach, um, but ultimately, yeah. Uh, what, what do you think of Villa's squad? Uh, well, I think as an individual, I still think it's a very good squad. Yeah. I think, I don't think any of them, and you're probably right, this calendar year, but certainly this season, I don't think any of them can be proud of their performances. I, I don't yeah. think, I would struggle to say who's been our best player. I think... Ashley every, Young, that's about it. Ashley Young probably <laughs> is still so inside to play around, and Brendia still gets this... Uh, it looks very good when he comes on because he's always in a cameo role, so it always looks like he he does well. But if you look at all of our players, I don't think as to a, to a man they've improved on last season. And I mm, think yeah. Martinez didn't have his best season last season, and he looks like even uh, he's going. And I was saying last night, not that I'm trying to call out Martinez, but I said that it might not be a bad idea to rotate Martinez because he is so passionate about Argentina. Mm. that his mind is going to be solely now on the World Cup. He will be doing everything he can not to get injured. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's strange for a goalkeeper, but just everybody seems to almost have a preoccupied. They just don't seem to to care. Like, McGinn is our captain, and he just looks like a shadow of himself this yeah, season. he really does. And yeah. if you're the captain, the, he, the reason he is captain is because he would be the one running around, chasing after everything and setting that tempo. And he's not done that once this season. So if that's been taken away from him by giving him the captain's armband, it's just, I think that just typifies the whole squad where we seem to be playing within ourselves and almost too scared to express themselves. And I, I can't quite get my head around why that would be. I did, Carragher mentioned something on Monday Night Football, I think it was when we played Forest. Yeah. Uh, the way Villa set up reminded him of a Benitez team. Right. And he said when Benitez was at Liverpool, everything around coaching was defensive he said this is the shape this is how we do not get beaten yeah. he said he spent very little time coaching the attacking side of things yeah. and he said very much right we're not going to get beaten you've got enough flair players on the pitch that can just do what they do without being coached mm -hmm. i have no idea if that's how gerard's approached it but it did sort of ring a little bit of truth into what we're seeing in that we have got some gifted individuals who just aren't being given any creativity, any freedom to express mm -hmm. themselves. And it just yeah. feels like, to your earlier point, there's something wrong, whether it's a, a balance in the squad, whether it's a lack of conviction in a formation. Yeah. I don't know what 
I, I wouldn't mind in the new manager, whoever that is, is saying, I'm going to play a structure, a way of um, form, a formation I'm going to stick with. Yeah. I'm going to play a type of football. If the current squad don't fit that type of football, then we have to get rid of them. It might mean that we lose some of what we perceive to be our better individuals. Yeah. But at the minute, I think we've got too many good individuals and not a team. And yeah. That's something that needs to change. And a good example of that, I think, would be Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins. I, st- I, I think, you know, at the time when we, when we signed Ings, I thought it was, um, my initial reaction was obviously like, so this happened on the day of Jack Grealish's sale. I was like, oh, this is a kind of exciting. But at the same time, I thought, well, what does that mean for Ollie Watkins? Where, where does, mm. and ever since that day, it's been, it's almost been like both Gerard and Dean Smith have tried to work out what to do with the two of them, really. Yeah. Um, and that's a good example, I think, of two like individuals who are quite, you know, could potentially be a leading striker, but um, it just hasn't really worked so far, that in signing, and it's looking more and more like a bit of a... Um... Yeah, well, it's, the problem you've got, Frank, is they're not ever being played consistently together. And I mm. I think if you play two strikers, you need to play quite a structured midfield four. Yeah. I think to then play two strikers plus a continuum and Buendia, it, it overloads the midfield three because you haven't got any natural width there. Yeah. So you're asking the strikers to go out. And I think Watkins will run all day long. And nobody's ever going to um, question his ability to do that or desire to do that. But Ings is a striker that you need in the box. Yeah, I know he's got some great assists for Villa over the time, but he's, you know, you've signed him because if a chance falls to somebody in and around the area, you want it to be Danny Ings. Yeah. So if you're going to plan, that's the point. If you want to play two up top, we've got two very good strikers. You then have to restructure the midfield. You can't yeah. continue to play that free central midfield loose type thing that we do and have a free role in Buendia or Coutinho. So if you, mm. the new manager wants to play two up top, then it probably means the end for Coutinho and Buendia at Villa. Because mm. there isn't a way to play two up top with those two in. Yeah. So you've got to obviously have options. But if that's the way the new manager wants to go, he needs to be go out and sign proper wingers to give us genuine width as opposed to these creative number 10s. If the new manager wants the creative number 10s, then you'd probably be better off trying to sell Watkins or Ings in January and just playing one up front and just being absolutely militant with it and only change it if things go wrong, but actually give it a proper try. I feel like under Smith uh, towards the end and under Gerrard, you give it 60 minutes and you think, oh, it's not worth. I'm going to uh, watch a panic. I better try and completely change it. Next game, let's choose something else and then panic when we're not winning. It just doesn't feel like any, neither of them are rigid enough and strict enough to say, right, well, this is what I genuinely believe is going to work. Yeah. I'm going to have to give it five games and then it'll click. Yeah. Uh, I just, I think they were too, they got too in their head that it was about instant results. And I think we're going to, hopefully, the new manager will come in and have a clear, plan and, and if that is 4-4-2 or whatever it may be and he drops and we don't see a Coutinho again we don't see a Buendia again I'll be really sad about that but at least I'll be able to get behind somebody who has a plan yeah I think that's... the last year we just haven't had that on the pitch yeah completely and the lack of width does slightly concern me for yeah. any new manager coming in it might be something that they have to address in January but uh you know we, we have to look at future managers now I guess yeah. um apparently Pochettino is a, is a no. Uh, yeah. Tuchel is also a no. This is very surprising stuff to hear two Champions yeah. League finalist managers <laughs> are not quite interested in coming to a team that's in the bottom four of the Premier League. But yeah. uh, we also have been linked quite strongly to Ruben Amarim from Sporting Lisbon, who I believe likes to play a 3-4-3. 
Um, but you know, Amrim, I assume, is not a manager that either of us are particularly too um know too much about but hmm. is there anybody else at all that you would like to see or is there a kind of profile of manager that you would like to see come into villa so it's a, well it's a really interesting one because when we were talking earlier in the week when i when we played football together we were talking about the next manager and i mentioned the fact that wolves have struggled yes to hire a manager come and on. i said that was before the, the fulham game i said if we we're going to be shopping in pretty much the same market as much as i dislike wolves and i would never even consider them to be anywhere near us on any level at all. <laughs> yeah. They are shopping in the same sort of market as we yeah. are. Uh, they have that Portuguese connection. So if there's a good manager out in Portugal, <laughs> that's what I would have thought he's going to go to Wolves over Villa. Yeah. But it's clearly not, it's difficult to get a new manager now. The names you mentioned were fairy tale stuff. If we could have got Pochettino or Tuchel, great, but it was always unlikely very very unlikely for sure um so i don't i I generally don't know i don't know enough about the guy that you mentioned from sporting to pass any comments on him really but i don't know who we need i don't know who is likely to come in thomas frank's been mentioned why would he leave brentford right now when their stock is going really well as much as we're a bigger club than brentford it's not really a big enough step for him to to justify it i think if he keeps performing well he could have a really big step up in a few years time and then you've got solid managers like Sean Dyche who have done a great job at Burnley but don't it's not going to be an inspirational it's not certainly not a Pochettino's type appointment is it but I'll go back to the point I made previously I want somebody who's going to have clear direction and help steer us into whatever he wants to get out of this Uh, if it's 442-343 we just need that plan and identity uh, and something that you can get to be lovely to have attacking entertaining football. I was really surprised at how boring it's been under yeah. Gerard. I, I never thought that would be the case. I would have thought as an individual, it would be at the very least exciting. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's all, I was, I think we'd all got a little bit giddy when we saw perhaps some of the odds yesterday that Pochettino was coming in. Mm-hmm. I think now the realisation has hit that it's not going to be one of those front runners. We are now just shopping in the same market, Walter, and they interviewed a few people and have ended up um, giving it to their head coach for the rem- remainder of the season. So it's quite clearly a difficult market to get a manager. So yeah. one of the things I have been very happy with up to now is how quickly the board have acted. I mentioned it previously, how they got Gerard in very quickly. They identified mm-hmm. the target and got him, similar with their transfer. So I do have faith in the owners that they have a plan and they know what they want. And it wouldn't surprise me if we are, if we've have hired a manager before the Newcastle game Mm. and they'll want to get somebody in certainly before the world cup. And, but it looks like it's a bit of a a guessing game right now as to, as to who it could be. And I, and I don't really know who I want at the moment. I just want somebody who's got a clear identity, a clear plan that can just put some simple structure in place and uh, everybody can get behind it. Yeah, I mean, this might get me booed off the uh, off off the podcast, but uh, I, I vaguely think Brendan Rodgers wouldn't be a bad shout. Um, yeah, I my only I would like Rodgers. Hmm. I I worried about when Dean Smith, for example, keep going back to our old guy, went straight to Norwich. I felt that decision for him to go straight to Norwich was wrong. Yeah, because he didn't give himself a time to reevaluate just take a little bit of stop and he rushed into that job 
it feels like it's now beginning to do all right for him. But I think if Rogers, it's not like you're stealing a manager like a Thomas Frank who's on the up. Yeah, we're, we're poaching a manager from Leicester who they want out anyway, and he's yeah. probably a bit. He probably just needs a break. So I think the timing for me would be the only thing that I think as a manager, he usually makes a really good impact to begin with, but he could be a little bit jaded right now. I think yeah. the timing um, is probably the only thing that I would go against Rogers, because um, I don't think it'd be right mental state to to go at it the way he normally does. But he's a great manager, so it probably wouldn't be a bad appointment. Yeah, um, but we also should just have a quick mention of Christian Perslow. I think uh, that his name has come up quite a bit more recently than we've probably mm. heard. Um, you know, uh, I know he's not popular with Liverpool fans from his time there, um, but I, my own argument about it has always been that Aston Villa have been run by a cavalcade of terrible owners for a very long time. Mm. Um, and that what uh, Sawiris Edens and by extension Perslow have done is revitalized the club really ever since they came in through the door and, and saved us from HMRC winding us up. Yeah. Um, we're certainly in a much better place with the, with the three of them there for sure. Um, and, you know, the, the stadium ambitions that, you know, the, the communication with the fans about the badge. Um, there are some things that I think we should, and the Academy as well, particularly the Academy and yeah. the women's team as well. So there's certainly a lot of things that Villa are just way ahead than we were before. But there's also, you know, questions over his involvement with recruitment. I mean, we're not there, so we don't explicitly know the truth about how involved he is with everything. But um, you do have to assume that Stephen Gerrard was his man, um, considering their past connection with Liverpool. Sawiris apparently left the Fulham game, uh, not very happy at all after the red card to Douglas Louise. And you have to assume that he made his mind up uh, to get rid of uh, Gerrard at that point. Um, what is your overall thinking on Purs, though? Just, just, I mean, I'm only asking that just because you know he is coming up now in conversations at Villa. I think you're right. I think it'd be very quick to say, "Oh, we need to get rid of him because he 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 was the main reason we got Gerard, which yeah. is he that was who he wanted. He made sure it happened. But you're right. The club, if you look back to that playoff final defeat to Fulham, mm. where we were very close to being. I think it's very easy to start just saying how bad it is at the moment and forget how much improvement has happened uh, in the last three to four years. Mm. So he's certainly got plenty of um, stock in the bank, as it were, on me as an individual as to what he's done for the club. There's a couple of things that him as a personality, like when he always just likes to get on TV, isn't really to my personal taste. He always... Yeah. finds a way to make it about himself rather than the club. But in doing so, he's giving the club airtime. So every time that there's a Premier League meeting, it does feel like Perslow gets involved in front of the cameras. So at least Aston Villa are always making sure that they're in front of the cameras. So it's not how I would conduct business as such. I don't think he'd be certain an individual I'd enjoy spending a lot of time with, but he has improved the club dramatically and you have to give him credit for that. I think he's got this big appointment. I think yeah, big appointment, I, I do think the owners are going to be keeping a close eye on him uh, now. I think they've backed everything so far that we've tried to do. And uh, in the last three or four years, you can't fault that at all. If we can't get, if, if this manager appointment drags on, so they will probably be expecting us to be able to get a manager in, like I say, before the Newcastle game. Mm-hmm. If we get to the World Cup and we're still dragging our heels and we haven't been able to convince somebody to stay, 
it wouldn't surprise me if the owners then start to blame Perslo for that. Ultimately, his job is to sell Aston Villa to a new manager. Mm-hmm. So if he's unable to do that, uh, and I have absolutely no doubt that the owners will be financially backing whoever they go after, not just in signing players, but in terms of actual salary. If you think about how much Gerard's just made overnight by getting sacked, mm-hmm. they're certainly not scared to splash the cash. So I think... At the moment, I don't think they. we should be sacking Perso. I think that would be a whole another round of recruitment and finding the club structure. The club structure and so much is right with Aston Villa. And I think yeah. that's why it's so frustrating that the team is below par because it feels like everything's in place to get back to where we're so desperate to be. There's a waiting list for season tickets. The stand's going to be improved. They're rebranding the badge. The women's team are doing really well. The academy, we've got players coming through. And there's a lot and a lot of positives. Yeah. About Aston Villa right now, just nothing of it is on the pitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think Burzo, like I said, he's he, he'll be fine for in his role as long as this doesn't drag on. He's now got a very important week also to identify some key candidates, go through the rounds of interviews and make sure he convinces whoever becomes our first choice candidate to get in and make an impact. Because one of the beauties of this season is that everybody seems to be drawing with each other. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're a mile away from the top eight. We're actually only a few wins away. Newcastle aren't that far away and they're playing a lot better than we are. If you get a new manager bounce, if you get somebody coming in, there's no reason why we can't finish top half still. Yeah, completely. Um, but if we get it completely wrong, then the relegation battle is looming large. And we've got, <laughs> so that's why I think so. Perso's got a really, really big week, 10 days ahead of him. I don't think he's, his job's in danger unless we go into the World Cup and we haven't got a manager. We haven't picked up any more points. Somebody else will soon have to be blamed for that. And it, Perso is the next name that the fans want to go after. That's for certain. Yeah. Well, um, as you say, I, I still have some positivity. I hope if they get this um, um, managerial appointment right, that Villa can still push for top half. But it is, as you say, it's crucial really for Perslow as well that he gets this one right um, mm-hmm. in a, what is currently quite a difficult market. But also, uh, we both know each other through the London Lions, uh, yeah. the Aston Villa Sports Group down here in London. You know, And also, there is a football team that we are part of as well as part of the London Lions. So yeah, how do people get involved? Yeah, so they can contact yourself, thank you, via this um, podcast that you do. Also, there's the the Facebook group, which is the Aston Villa London Lions. Uh, More than welcome to join. It's not just about playing football. Uh, If you can play football, we're always uh, recruiting new players, but there's lots of socials. We meet up in and around London when there's games on the TV that you might not be able to uh, attend in person. So there's usually quite a few social activities going on all around the villa. Uh, as well so if you just search for Aston Villa London Lions on either Facebook or Instagram we're on all of those platforms and I say if you're interested in joining you're always welcome yeah I I can't speak highly enough of it I just met a great group of people really since I joined this time last year very welcoming Um, and it's just great to be in London and here you know uh, meet fellow Brummies but uh, you know also um, you know people from all over really who just support the villa and we all just sort of catch up and get together and all that and uh yeah we beat psg 2-0 in the london supporters league i thought i'd get yeah. that in as well so you know yeah, bring them on positives. there is some positives frankly that's for <laughs> certain <laughs> yeah thank you weber that's been absolutely brilliant to have you on and hopefully it's onwards and upwards for villa and it'll be good to have you on again in future excellent stuff thanks frankie
And that's goodbye from me. We'll be back again to review the Brentford game. But until then, come on, Super Aston Villa.